let us begin with a few indisputable facts. On September the 5th, 1972, at the Munich Olympics, members of the Black September organization infiltrated the athletes' village and broke into the apartments of the Israeli wrestling team. There, they murdered two men, proceeded to hold another nine hostage, and demanded in return for their safe release the freeing of 200 Palestinian prisoners held in Israeli jails. The German authorities then attempted a rescue operation. You know, when I was a kid, my father used to say, our greatest hopes and our worst fears are mm -hmm. seldom realized. Our worst fears have been realized tonight. They have now said that there were 11 hostages. Two were killed in their rooms this morning, yesterday morning. Nine were killed at the airport tonight. They're all gone. Whatever happened thereafter is known to the general public only via a combination of truth, opinion, half-truth and propaganda. For instance, in 1984, Canadian investigative journalist George Jonas published Vengeance, in which he presented very compelling evidence that, in the wake of the Munich massacre, the Israeli intelligence agency Mossad assassinated several high-ranking members of Black September. However, somewhat incredulously, Jonas declared his primary source was a man who claimed to be the Mossad agent who led the operations. Although never confirmed, it is further claimed that this man, whom Jonas named simply as Avner, is in fact Yuval Aviv, a naturalized American citizen who works as a securities consultant and occasionally writes books on terrorism, under the pseudonym of Sam Green. Despite such disputed credentials, in 1986, HBO commissioned a miniseries based on Jonas's book. Sword of Gideon was scripted by Chris Bryant, directed by Michael Anderson, and starred Stephen Bauer as Avner Stroke Yuval. I'm interested in finding out the whereabouts of a certain Ali Salame. Ali Hassan Salame. A very elusive gentleman. A lot of people would like to make his acquaintance. We provide anything, nearly. You need a driver? We'll get you one. A passport? No trouble. You want someone killed? You do that yourself. A plodding drama, Sword of Gideon offers precious little now, other than a stark contrast, to how Steven Spielberg interpreted the same events with his film Munich. Sword of Gideon was made as Israel withdrew its troops from Lebanon, having successfully driven out the PLO. While Munich, released in 2005 to blazing complaints of historical inaccuracy, political naivety and moral equivalency, was made in the era of Al-Qaeda and the hunt for Osama bin Laden. In fact, in the weeks after 9-11, the Pentagon had approached Hollywood to help sell the so-called War on Terror to audiences around the globe. However, while Spielberg's film is also based on vengeance, it radically departs from Jonas's book, while also suggesting the impact the US-led campaign might have. Namely, a shift Avner undergoes from concrete conviction to niggling doubt and ultimately bitter disillusionment. Early drafts of the Munich script were written by Oscar winner Eric Roth and then extensively rewritten by Pulitzer Prize winner Tony Kushner. It's very clear from the beginning is that our main dramatic agents are five guys who are assassinating people. They have to be plausible as guys who are field operatives for an intelligence agency. 
So we had to figure out why guys who weren't sociopaths were doing this job, why these guys, why guys who would be vulnerable to the kind of moral doubts that one would have, and how to treat uh, that subject without falling into uh, all the obvious cliches of the, the, the hitman who's doubts. The crucial words there are sociopath and moral doubts. Consider the reckless films Hollywood produced in the 1980s and 90s, addressing terrorism and depicting Arabs. Death Before Dishonor, The Delta Force and its sequels, Iron Eagle and its sequels, Navy Seals, True Lies and Executive Decision. Each of them driven by sociopathic characters delivering vengeance in the belief that, by the end of the film, they will have solved the problem between Israel and her neighbours. Munich is not so arrogant to think it provides an answer. But what it does do is show, no matter how justified vengeance may feel, no matter which side you are serving, the act of vengeance is corrosive. Let us be clear, if you are not in some way affected by killing, you are already damaged. Such knowledge helps Munich avoid the cliches of the hitman with doubts, and instead shows the need to find and protect an understanding of who you are. Without such an anchor, locating yourself in relation to other people culture and history is fraught with danger. Almost every other judgment falls into darkness. Kushner's script threads the question of identity throughout every sequence. Avner, played by Eric Bana, is often reminded not just of his father's heroic status, but also how much like his father he looks. But Avner never goes to see his father, Instead, infrequently visiting his emotionally distant mother, played by Gila Almagor, whom he openly admits put him in a kibbutz rather than raise him herself. A son of Israel and now a Mossad agent, Avner is nonetheless taunted by other Mossad personnel that he is not a Sabra, a Jewish person born in Israel, but rather a Yeka, a Jewish person of German-speaking origin. Avner had studied in Germany and, returning there, his old college friend Andreas played by Moritz Bleibtreu, now thinks Avner is trying to join the PLO. Later in France, Avner introduces himself as Franz Deutsch, a Christian financed by rich Americans. But the French intelligence broker Louis, played by Mathieu Almeric, and his papa, played by Michael Lonsdale, see straight through Avner's pretense, precisely because they've seen this game before. We inhabit a world of intersecting secrecies. We live and die at the places where those secrecies meet. That's what we accept. Hmm? We buy information for you from your enemies. This alert them. You're not the only people looking for names. You're telling me I'm being hunted now? He's telling you it's time for you to quit. The race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong. But time and chance happens to them all. In a film about counterintelligence, we can expect a collection of aliases and covers. But Kushner widens that subterfuge. It is revealed that the man who planned the Munich attack, Ali Hassan Salame, played by Mehdi Nebu, is in fact protected by rich Americans, the CIA. Why? Because without Salame's information, Black September would target American citizens in Europe. Again, we can expect such chicanery, but once more, and unlike Brian's adaptation, Kushner's script uses it to develop the theme. Avner moves constantly around Europe, from safe houses in Rome and Paris to Nicosia, London and Amsterdam, rarely if ever going back to the same city, 
let alone the same house or even room. Then, when Avner and his team are in Athens, they unexpectedly find themselves sharing the very same safe house as a team of Palestinians. Quickly, Avner's team pretend to be a mix of the Red Army faction, ETA, the IRA, and, most absurd of all, the ANC. Nevertheless, the coincidental encounter allows Avner and the Palestinian group leader Ali, played by Omar Madwali, to discuss their common causes. You don't know what it is not to have a home. That's why you European Reds don't get it. You say it's nothing, but you have a home to come back to. Home is everything. Yet when Avner's wife Daphne, played by Ayelet Zurer, gives birth to their daughter in Tel Aviv, Avner returns on a West German passport. And then, concerned about their safety, has them move to Brooklyn, which makes it only more difficult for him to be with them. Hey, hey sweetheart, it's your papa. This is my voice, darling. This is what I sound like, don't forget, okay? While Sword of Gideon ends with Avner returning to defend Israel in the Yom Kippur War, started when Egypt invaded on October the 6th, 1973. Munich concludes with Avner in New York, his initial resolve having unraveled into bitter distrust. His commanding officer, Ephraim, played by Geoffrey Rush, tries to persuade him to return to Mossad ranks. You killed them for the sake of a country you now choose to abandon. The country your mother and father built, that you were born into. You killed them for Munich, for the future, for peace. There's no peace at the end of this, no matter what you believe. You know this is true. And so, Abner is left standing alone against Manhattan's skyline. A lot has been made of this image, the World Trade Center being visible in the background, the supposed implication being that the Munich massacre and Israel's response led to the attacks on 9-11. But for me, that is too superficial. The real revelation is that Avner is standing alone in a children's playground, and there are no children in sight. What elevates Kushner's script even further is how Spielberg cinematizes the events. I can think of perhaps only one other director, Orson Welles, who was just as gifted at blocking a scene. Welles's background in theatre meant he learned that a static actor resulted in a static stage. Knowing that a moving camera would vitalise a lengthy dialogue sequence, Welles would constantly have the actors moving from background to foreground and across the frame. But whether it be Citizen Kane, The Magnificent Ambersons or Touch of Evil, Welles's blocking was motivated primarily by dialogue. Come on, boys! Reunion Be careful, Charles. Pull your muffler around your neck, Charles. Kane, I think we shall have to tell him now. Yes. I'll sign those papers now, Mr. Thatcher. You people seem to forget that I'm the boy's father. It's going to be done exactly the way I've told Mr. Thatcher. There ain't nothing wrong with Colorado. I don't see why we can't raise our own son just because we come into some money. Spielberg motivates his camera to follow information and develop emotion. With cinematographer Janusz Kaminski by his side, Spielberg's camera interacts with the events, so information is concealed and then revealed at just the right time and place within the frame to bring the emotion to its peak. Even if you turn down the sound, you can still get an understanding of the underlying dramatic tension, which partially explains Spielberg's continued collaboration with composer John Williams. Watch almost any Spielberg sequence, again with the sound turned down, and you can feel the music emerging from the camera movement, the tempo rising and falling as the camera tracks alongside, 
cranes up too, or dollies, in on the actors' faces. In a word, Spielberg's camera is musical, which means Munich is a lament. The 1970s saw a glut of political and conspiracy thrillers. The Day of the Jackal, The Conversation, Three Days of the Condor, All the President's Men and Black Sunday. And when preparing to film Munich, Spielberg adopted a technique common to all those titles. The zoom lens. Throughout his long career, Spielberg has rarely used the device. So, why did he use it for Munich? The glib answer would be that Munich is set in the 70s. But no, a zoom lens articulates space in a way a dolly cannot. It takes time for a dolly to move through any given space, a time Spielberg typically uses to pace emotional cadence. But a zoom lens can shorten that time while also contracting that space. So attaching the zoom lens to the camera on the dolly results in a subtle but consistent disorientation. As the actors move, the camera dollies, pans and tilts and the lens zooms which means that everything is in a constant state of flux. Which is also true of the classified information Avner and his team are receiving, the way they implement that information, the assassinations, the reprisals, the fresh attacks, the murders, the continued mayhem, and the growing uncertainty. Uh, look at the waistline bulge on that guy. Look at that. Think he might be armed, eh? There's all the Russians. It's definitely him. Hussein Abad al-Shir. His room is next to Israeli newlyweds. That exchange takes place during the Nicosia sequence and lasts all of 20 seconds. It begins as Hussein Abad al-Shir, played by Mustafa Jajam, leaves the Olympic Hotel with his bodyguards. Observing in a car from across the street are Avner and his team. The camera dollies left, zooms and racks focus to the car's side mirror, where we see Steve, played by Daniel Craig. Once he finishes speaking, the camera dollies into the car and racks focus again, this time onto the rearview mirror, where we see Hans, played by Hans Zischler, offering his opinion. He then holds up a photograph, the lens refocuses onto it, before he hands it over to Avner in the back seat. The lens pulls out slightly to reveal Avner's response. All one shot. The changing perspectives represent Avner's gradual shift in commitment to growing uncertainty of, and finally, scepticism for the mission. The constant shifting visualizes his sense of self being undermined. As stated, not understanding who you are results in the conscience falling into darkness. That darkness is perfectly dramatized when Avner waits to turn off his bedside lamp, to signal to his team out in the street, to detonate the bomb, that will murder Abad al-Chir. For me, the film suffers from one critical and glaring error. Spielberg and Kushner decided to omit the most shocking episode in the Mossad mission. In the summer of 1973, Israeli intelligence learned that Salami was in Lillehammer, Norway. Mossad agents went there, but on July the 21st, they mistook their target for Moroccan waiter Ahmed Bouchiki and shot him instead but let us not add to that lethal mistake. Bushiki was not shot, he was murdered. 
that he was the victim of mistaken identity is immaterial. The death was both intentional and illegal. I believe if Spielberg had used that catastrophe as Munich's penultimate episode, it would have resulted in an even more powerful film. Let us close with the film's opening credits. Under Lisa Gerard's despairing voice, we see in light grey, against a black background, the names of dozens of cities. Geneva, Tripoli, Barcelona, Hebron, Lillehammer, Jaffa. They seem to be carved into dark granite, suggesting names on a gravestone. Then the name of Munich appears. The other names fade away and Munich turns red. The city of Munich will be just one of many murder scenes and graveyards. <laughs> 